And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he's known as mild-mannered TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. And welcome to episode 58 of Charlie's Geek Cast, the first episode of 2021. I am your ever-loving, bluish-eyed host, Charlie Niemeyer, and today we are continuing our look at Superman's 1983 updating by looking at Superman number 388, had a cover date of October 1983, an on-sale date of July 14th, 1983, and a cover price of 60 cents. Our story begins... Oh, you know what? I forgot to look at the cover. <laughs> our cover is by Gil Kane. And it basically shows, I'm guessing it's supposed to be a Superman poster with a little kid busting through it. But it looks like Superman's as surprised to see the kid as we are. So that's kind of weird. Also, the kid's in a makeshift Superman costume, so it looks a little off. Which, I guess, if you're, it's 1983, if you're buying, well, even now, uh, if you're buying a Superman costume, it is going to look a little off. Uh, the cover's not bad. Uh, Gil Kane did, does a pretty good job here. I'm just kind of confused as to the whole the reasoning for it. I mean, is, is it a Superman poster? If it is, why is he shocked to see this kid who's busting through the poster? Or maybe it's just supposed to, he's supposed to be busting through the cover. In either event, it's really weird. But it looks nice. Uh, the only other problem I have is that the, the costume he, the kid is wearing is okay. It, it, this version of the costume looks like the kid made it himself. Uh, inside the book, the costume looks a little closer to correct and uh, not quite as makeshift, more maybe store-bought. Uh, so it, it doesn't actually match at all the costume on the inside. That's my only gripe. The title of the story is The Kid Who Played Superman. Written by Carrie Bates, art by Kurt Swan and Dave Hunt, lettered by Ben Oda, colored by Anthony Tallinn, and edited by Julie Schwartz. Morning in Metropolis, and Superman is returning to WGBS after a night of super feats on the other side of the world. At the same time as Lois returns to WGBS after her impromptu vacation. And while she seems rather pleasant outside the building, upon entering the building, she makes a beeline for Perry White's office, very much not in the mood to chit-chat with anyone. While Clark runs into Justin Moore outside of Perry's office, Lois airs her grievances loud enough to be heard outside of the office. After Perry explains why he sent Lana to do the interview, she leaves his office in quite a huff, ignoring Clark as he tries to introduce Justin to her. Later, while Jimmy reads some Superman fan mail from little Mickey Norris of Masonville, we see that after finishing his paper route, Mickey likes to go out into the woods, change into his Superman costume, and begin his patrol, which in this case involves jumping off a hill for a picture that looks to make it look like he's flying. The pic is enclosed in Mickey's letter, and Clark notices a glitch in the image around Mickey's head. Kind of looks like a, a halo. And it's a glitch that intrigues him enough to get in touch with Mickey's mother. Soon, I'm guessing later the same day, this all seems to be taking place in one day, but there's a lot of back and forth traveling for Clark to Masonville. 
Clark is having tea with Mrs. Norris while they wait for Mickey to return home from school. However, at the moment, Mickey is being chased by an alien creature that only he can see. After being chased into a tree which is in a gully, a blast from the creature lets Mickey know that it is real, and since he is in his Superman costume, he attempts to be brave like his favorite hero. By this point, Mrs. Norris is getting really worried about Mickey, so Clark volunteers to go looking for him, but decides that this may be more of a job for Superman. Meanwhile, Mickey has somehow destroyed the creature with a mental blast, but as though influenced by Japanese tokusatsu, the creature ends up exploding, causing the gully to fill with blue flame. Which doesn't normally happen in to tokusatsu, the, the explosion doesn't usually do much other than blow up the monster, but bear with me. But as usual, just as hope seems lost, the real Man of Steel arrives, pulling the tree from the fire. And though he lies about how the fire started in order to not seem crazy in front of his idol, he gets to see Superman snuff out the flames with dirt at super speed before he flies away. With Mickey still shouting for Superman to come back, Clark arrives to meet Mickey and hear all about his super rescue. As Mickey changes back to his civilian garb, which actually takes him a while because he doesn't have super speed, the occupants of an invisible spaceship see Mickey as a threat to their operations, a threat that must be neutralized. Meanwhile, an X-ray vision scan by Clark reveals an extraordinary wide range of brainwaves emanating from Mickey, giving him the idea to suggest to Mickey's mom that he be tested at Star Labs. Back in Metropolis, the WGBS staff throw Lana a surprise party to celebrate her big interview. Things go pretty smoothly, even when Lois arrives to offer her own congratulations, like the mature adult. However, Lana's backhanded thank you for the compliment sets off a fight that involves Lois throwing punch in Lana's face, Lana then dunking Lois's face into the punch bowl, and then a fight that eventually ends with Lana getting Lois to realize that she isn't as over Superman as she thought. Later, as Lana finishes telling Clark about what happened at the party, he gets a phone call from a frantic Mrs. Norris, saying that Mickey has been kidnapped by some winged creature. As Superman flies to Masonville, Mickey wakes up inside the invisible spaceship, where the alien's explanation of why they've kidnapped him is interrupted by the arrival of Superman. Despite all of his powers, Superman is unable to detect the ship, nor can he hear Mickey shouting for help. Fortunately, Mickey is able to use his mental powers to will Superman to see and hear him. Superman is then able to free Mickey somehow. With no other alternative, the aliens explain that they exist on a different plane of existence, basically, and had planned to use Earth as a place to exile all of their undesirables. But Mickey's mental powers allow him to detect multiple planes of existence, which messed up their plans. After Superman kindly suggests that they leave Earth permanently, the aliens leave, and Superman tells Mickey that using his powers wisely and to help others when possible is what being a Superman is all about. While Mickey wonders if they'll ever team up again someday, back in Metropolis, Justin and Lois are standing outside of WGBS after the end of a long day, just with Justin explaining how he doesn't understand why people make such a big deal over Superman or how anyone could hope to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with him. As he actually somehow tries to turn this around as a way to pick up Lois and introduce himself at the same time, she walks off without a word. Perceiving this as her being hard to get, Justin is now determined that he will win her over. You know, up until the last page of that story, I like I kind of like Justin. He just seemed like a, a, a Jimmy, but younger. Now, not so much. Anyway, 
All right, so looking at notes, my notes for page one. Uh, I really like how this shows the how opposite Superman and Lois are. Lois is heading to work from the ground floor, planning to go up, and Superman is flying in from above. Superman's flying pose is a bit off here, though. I'm guessing in order to keep his arm from covering his face, it just doesn't look natural. Pages two through three. Lois is finally being shown the error of her ways after all this time of making bad decisions. I feel bad for her, but I'm glad it finally happened. And if anyone was going to do it, it would be Perry. Page four. How many of us have worn similar costumes to Mickey? I mean, this could have been any of us until the mental power stuff comes up. I like the detail of the costume boots fitting over Mickey's shoes. It's very realistic. It almost looks like he bought a Superman costume and then put shorts over it to add more to the red there. Page nine. I'm glad that the dialogue here insinuates that Mickey was responsible for destroying the creature. The art just makes it look like it blew up for no reason. I mean, there's not even any kind of lines to indicate some sort of a blast or something from Mickey's mind. It's just boom, you know. Uh, Page 10. In panel three of this page, Superman appears to be blowing out the fire, but it appears he was unsuccessful and yet was still able to save Mickey. None of this is explained later, either via captions or thought balloons. So I'm not sure exactly what's happening here. I don't know. I mean, when he pulls the tree out of the ground, it doesn't look like it's on fire at all. Now, maybe he's supposed to be blowing out the fire and on the tree and there was a miscolor on the tree itself. I'm not sure. But then he grabs Mickey and all you see is smoke. The tree is gone. Now, what I'm wondering here, though, is maybe the blue flames indicated some kind of a special fire. Or maybe it indicates the intense heat. I think blue flame is even hotter than the orange flames. Maybe it would have taken too long for Superman to blow it out or something. Maybe it's some sort of an alien fire that he can't put out. I don't know. But not it's not explained at all. Page 14. Why, Lana? Lois was being mature and congratulating you, and you just had to rub it in. All you had to do was say thank you. And you could have stayed dry. I mean, granted, we wouldn't have the fight, but it would have it wouldn't have made her look like a you know a heel. Page sixteen. Since we learn on the next page that Lana is telling Clark about what happened, I'm actually wondering if Lois really did break down like this with Lana, or if this was just Lana embellishing things a little bit. I'm not a fan of her instigating the fight and then being the one to calm down Lois. It just seems like I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't play right to me. Uh, Page 18. So this time, the aliens decide to use a creature that anyone could see to take Mickey. Or is it that Mrs. Norris has the same mental powers as Mickey and we just don't think about it? It's kind of confusing here. She saw the alien. Why would invisible aliens from another plane of reality decide to send a creature to... A visible creature to kidnap the kid. Page 19. I like the facial designs on the aliens, but with the rest of their look, it looks like they're wearing overalls. It's kind of weird. Page 13. I thought Justin was supposed to be pretty smart. Like I said, I liked him before this. But using Lois's breakup with Superman to try to hit on her? What an a-hole. You know? What an a-hole. Alright, overall, I found this to be a pretty boring story. Sure, the Lois and Lana fight was pretty interesting. But everything else was a real slog to get through. In fact, 
I can't tell you how many times I've read this issue before, and it has brought me to a dead halt in my reading uh, to the point where I have fallen asleep during the issue. Uh, speaking of Lois, though, she did act a bit out of character, but with her some, still somewhat freshly broken up with Superman and upset about losing the story to Lana while Lana's getting all this praise for it, it I, can, I can kind of understand it. I'm hoping, though, that this was actually an important step forward and that we still get Lois growing from this in the next issue or the next few issues. It would be kind of nice. As for Mickey, he does show up at least one more time before John Byrne reboots everything, although I don't think we see him again in this update storyline that we're following right now. I believe it's uh, during their kind of coasting. I believe Crisis is probably going on, and it's a... I don't even remember if it's a backup story, but it's not drawn by Kurt Swan. I believe it's an Alex Saviet story. Maybe Irv Novit. Anyway, so uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this issue. Uh, so after a couple of promos, I'll be back with some feedback, but first... Playing us out this time is the number one song for the week of July 14th, which is Every Breath You Take by The Police. I will be right back and enjoy the song. Every breath you take. Charlie's GeekCast will return after these promos. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. The All-Star Squadron. Spectre. Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrific. Star Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. The Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire and Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of theme shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. 
We'll launch this new series with an ongoing show called Justice Society Presents Crisis, in which Rob and Shag go through each of the classic team-ups between the Justice League and the Justice Society. Then joining the podcast feed will be the Starman Chronicles. Chris and Cindy continue their coverage of James Robinson's epic series from beginning to end. Later in the year, Ryan Daly and Max Romero will tackle the Vertigo title, Sandman Mystery Theater. And two years later, Ryan will cancel it. That's probably. Then in the coming months and years, we'll be adding further ongoing shows and one-off specials celebrating other beloved characters and comics related to the JSA of any era, from the 1940s to today. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Between the golden age of Atlantis and the rise of recorded history, there were ages undreamed of. Hither came heroes and villains possessing swords and magic, whose deeds became tales and legends. I have come to relate these sagas. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Days of High Adventure, a new podcast discussing a variety of comics that fall into the fantasy or sword and sorcery genre. Available on most podcast services and Anchor FM. We now return to Charlie's Geekcast. All right, I've got some feedback to catch up on. Starting all the way back with episode 54, which was Geeking on Superman of the Bronze Age number 11, which I think is the last time I covered an issue. Uh, this one comes as a comment on the website from Dave McElvaney. Hello, Dave. I have to say that I really have expected more from stories involving Lex Luthor and Brainiac, especially stories written by Carrie Bates and Marv Wolfman. But for me, these two fell a bit flat. I'm particularly disappointed in Marv Wolfman, who, in the previous issue of Action Comics, had Brainiac pressed the survivors of his conquest of a planet in the Beetlejuice system into his service and then apparently forgot the biophysics of the DC Universe. Beetlejuice is a red sun. And by long-established precedent, natives in such a system should, under Earth's yellow sun, have the same powers as Superman. An army of which, an army of such super beings, even a small army, should have made mincemeat out of the JLA and the Titans. Really, Marvelous Marv could have picked any random nameless star system in the previous issue, but if he was going to specify one with a red sun, he should have made use of that. Call it Chekhov's sun, if you will. He followed up that up with an addendum. On further reflection, here's my no price. Yeah, no, wrong company, sorry. Explanation to get Marv off the book, or off the hook, sorry. Perhaps the aliens Brainiac pressed into service were not natives of the Red Sun system, but colonizers from another system, maybe one with a yellow sun. In that case, not having evolved under a Red Sun, they wouldn't have exhibited superpowers under Earth's yellow sun. Fair point. However, Dave, I don't, and I could be wrong, I haven't gone back and looked, but I don't remember them being in a Red Sun system. Uh, Superman got, Superman flew there under his own power. He lost his powers because of the red solar torpedoes and then he slowly gained his powers back after he stole brainiac's ship uh, i think that was just a timing issue or something in brainiac's ship i don't think he was on a red solar plant plant uh planet and then he had to worry about losing his powers again when he w- when brainiac again tried to shoot the red solar torpedoes at him i could be wrong 
uh, I honest, I don't a hundred percent remember, but I believe he was actually on a yellow. Well, I don't know that they actually specified, but they, I believe, I don't remember that planet being a red sun planet. Anyway, all right, and then episode fifty-five was the Superman Doomsday movie. I didn't get any comment, to, uh, any comments on that. Oh, sigh. And then episode fifty-six, where I celebrated Christmas in a perfect way for really for twenty twenty, uh, with that lovely Dragnet episode. Dave decided to read in, write in on this one, too, also on the website, for episode 56, Geeking on Another Dragnet Christmas. And Dave writes, oh my. I don't think he intended it to be, oh my. But anyway, oh my. I can certainly understand why this episode of Dragnet was controversial and generated a lot of mail. Leaving aside any pro or anti-gun reactions, imagine the family sitting down and turning on the radio to listen to an episode of Dragnet three days before Christmas to hear a story of the death of an eight-year-old kid. I get that the L.A. police chief and the producers of Dragnet wanted to put out an episode of a popular network radio program with a strong message against giving young kids guns for Christmas, but really? I imagine many of those letters were complaints about the death of a kid at Christmas time, because that's the thing that upset me the most here. If such a story were to be aired today, I imagine there would be all sorts of listener or viewer advisories at the beginning and at each commercial break. You are probably right, Dave. Now, see, what's funny about this is it's like they did this specifically because they wanted more people to hear it at Christmas time. Because if you think about it, three days before Christmas, it's not like it, you know, I don't know if anyone's going to be like, you know what, we shouldn't give our give a gun to our kid. Let's return this to the store. I don't think that would happen. And uh, as I, the one I played, was it last year or the year before? Uh, they did Christmas time stories at other times of the year. So they could have done it at a different time and not, you know, essentially almost ruined Christmas for people. Uh, also, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe this was a later in the evening show. So I don't know that you would have had a family sit, uh, sitting down to watch it or to listen to it, at least not in the early episodes. I could be wrong. But uh, anyway, thank you, Dave, for writing in on both episodes. Uh, uh, next time out, I believe I will be continuing with the Superman stuff. My plan is, I'm going to throw this out there because I know I keep starting and stopping things and taking time off from one project to do another project. And I've got a bunch of different projects going on, on for this show. So my current plan right now is to finish the Superman stuff uh, because I was supposed to have it all done last year. And well, here we go. So I'm going to be finishing this stuff up. If I have, uh, mostly because commentaries take time and I don't have a lot of open time, uh, I will eventually throw in some of those DC animated movies commentaries. And then if I can finish this, once I get finished with the Superman stuff, I'm going to go back to the DC animated comic stuff. I will probably do it in a different way because I don't know if I can squeeze six, uh, six comics into each episode like I was doing. Although now that I think about it, I think I started doing it one at a time, didn't I? Anyway, I'm going to re reevaluate that, and uh, I will continue it, but I'll, I'm going to change it up somehow. And uh, But that's my current plan. Commentaries will be squeezed in if necessary, but I'm going to try to keep going with the Superman stuff until I finish this little update, and then I'll move back into the animated universe uh, with Batman and then eventually Superman and Batman Beyond and Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. So, in, an, in any event, I hope you all are enjoying your new year, which has been crazy so far. It is... As I record this, we're on the it's inauguration day. 
and already we've had some crazy, crazy stuff going on. Uh, hopefully that'll calm down a little bit, but I doubt it. Uh, and uh, I hope you all have a wonderful, I could say week here, but I don't know how long it'll be before I put out the next episode. But I hope you all have a wonderful, however long it is. I will see you next time. Please, please take care of yourselves out there. Please have a good one. Thank you for listening to Charlie's GeekCast. Feedback for the show can be sent to charliesgeekcast at gmail.com or you can feel free to leave a comment at the show's posting at charliesgeekcast.com. All images and music heard on the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for entertainment purposes only. No infringement is intended. Charlie's GeekCast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Please be sure to stop by Two True Freaks to check out more great shows. Thank you again for listening and good night. Good night.